Hello and welcome back to the Faith Seeking Understanding Podcast. I'm Roland, this is Matt, and I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> so if I slow my words, I'm sorry. Uh, if I slow my words as usual, I'm sorry, I guess. <laughs> Every time I edit the videos, I'm always like, Matt is so clear and articulate, and I, I like trip over my own words sometimes. It's like very frustrating to listen to yourself. Um, anyway. I think you also just like zoom in on your own voice though like yeah we know we notice the slightest things yeah. in our own voices that we don't notice in other people's yeah um very critic self-critical yeah yeah i think that's just part of listening to your own voice when i'm for what it's worth when i'm editing the audio during the during the weeks i don't notice it as much so. ah thanks man i love you too <laughs> um okay so we are busy looking at wisdom in the old testament uh particularly yeah. and now we're sort of halfway through the book of ecclesiastes so we're making our way through uh, the the structure that we're sort of following if, of Ecclesiastes. If you haven't been following in all the episodes, is basically this: that there's like the royal experiment, which was a phrase that you used in in your paper that I'm reading that I thought was a really cool way of no, talking about it. Good, but the royal experiment in chapters one and two, uh, where he has like a poetic and a prosaic introduction, and then he goes through. Um, uh, how Hevel gets in the way of the way of folly and the way of wisdom, the way of wisdom broken up into two parts. Uh, and then in chapter three, from chapter three onwards, he repeats the same structure. So we see the poetic and prosaic introduction in chapter three. In four to six, which was our previous episode, we looked at um, the way of folly and we saw that he, Kohelet, sort of expands his horizon. And um, so he's still looking at, he's still looking to critique the idea of following the desires of your heart and, and trying to find happy and being better off and finding happiness and being better off in that particular way. Mm. Um, but now he has his own proposal, which is like to enjoy um, your fo- your toil as a gift from God and fear him and, and sort of be in right relationship with him in that way. And so occasionally he'll talk about like what can be good, you know, a good way of doing it if you're not trying to make this particular path your happiness. Uh, and then he'll also at some point in some strategic points, he'll, uh, put his proposed idea up as like the better alternative to the the ways that this particular path fails. So he finished with that in chapter six. In chapter today, we're going to look at, or in this episode, we're going to look at seven, verse one to nine, verse 10. And here we're looking at the first sort of critique of wisdom as sort of the place that we find happiness by being better off. Um, and if you recall, uh, the first sort of problem that he saw with wisdom was death. Well, the first like sort of source of Hevel was death, where the wise person dies like the fool. And uh, so that can mean either that they both die, um, so the wise person doesn't have a better fate, doesn't uh, through wisdom doesn't achieve a better fate than the fool does. It can also mean that they die like the fool. So like before their time, um, they are forgotten, like the fool is forgotten. And so wisdom doesn't seem to guarantee sort of any being better offness uh, yeah. than folly does. Yeah. Uh, and so that's just another prong in the, the, that pursuit of happiness by being better off. Mm. Um, so we're going to see what he has to say uh, in this section. But I, the first thing I want to do is motivate that it is, he is, in fact, shifting his tone from, you know, the desires of your heart to the constant theme of death and wisdom. Um, one of the things that he does when he expands out is he will include um, related notions. So in this, we'll find that he... He sometimes will talk about wisdom and folly, and other times he'll talk about righteousness and wickedness. Mm. But in the sort of paradigm of, you know, wisdom done properly, 
um, righteousness is there alongside it, like the righteous person is wise and the wise person is righteous. Uh, and similarly, the fool in their folly will often be drawn to wickedness because that's the, the cheaper way or the easier way. Um, and the wicked, just in virtue of being wicked, um, but also in their wickedness will do foolish things. Uh, so that's sort of, we'll see that sometimes, like sometimes you'll just talk about righteousness and death rather than wicked uh, wisdom and death, but it's the same sort of sure. sphere of, um, of uh, what could you say? intuition or like way of thinking about the yeah life. i mean that same interrelatedness isn't exactly uncommon you see in um all the way through the book of proverbs as well this correlation between wisdom and righteousness and mm. folly and um wickedness um and not as a hard and fast not as a one means the other or that one is necessarily interpreted in terms of the other um but that there is quite often this sort of close correlation or at least this way that Proverbs is wanting to um, paint things, even if it's not hard and fast. Yeah. So let's just scan through this real quick and just see that uh, I'm not making things up when I think that he's shifted his sort of focus. So in 7 verse 1 to 13, pretty good example, he has this contrast between how the wise person will reflect on death, that their house is the house of mourning. And this was contrasted with um, the fool whose house is the house of mirth or like laughter or um, pleasure or entertainment or whatever anything that you can do to distract yourself from the harsh realities of life mm. culminating in the reality of death and um its implications of losing people that are near you um and all those sorts of things uh you see yeah i, I guess that's the it's it's supposed to be a sort of um humbling experience i think so you see for instance with the contrast of the fool and the wise in this way um, you see in verse 9, be not quick in your spirit to become angry for anger lodges in the hearts of fools. So that's like you're overly invested in your present life, not kind of having that perspective of death and um, sort of your own mortality. Yeah. Um, we see uh, as he goes on with, which is a passage we're going to come back to, but he talks about uh, in verse uh, 15, in my heaven filled life, I've seen everything. There's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness and a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. So they were like, oh, that's the opposite of how it should be. Like, what are we, what are we doing here? Um, but again, we see the idea of death coming in. Um, and here the righteous man is dying like the wicked man. And the wicked man is prolonging his life like we would expect the righteous man to. Yeah. Um, we see in, so he, he continues talking, kind of adding in these um, thoughts every now and then about different things. Um, but then there's this interesting passage at the end of chapter 7. Um, he says, like, I, I turn my heart to seek out wisdom and s figure out the scheme of things. And he says, and I find in verse 26, and I find something more bitter than death, a woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. So there we see, he's like, he still has death on his mind, even though he's talking about this other thing. He's like, ah, this, this you could be sort of estranged from the, the good life, even prior to your death. Mm. Um, and that sort of idea is coming out there. Um, then we, he, in, verse, uh, in chapter 8, sorry, he talks about um, the king and the wise and how they relate to each other. And it's quite an interesting thing to try and piece together what exactly he's <laughs> trying to get at. Um, but we can see there that, like, if anything, the king is the person who has control over the life of another person, right? And so we see in verse 8, he says, a man has no power to retain his spirit or power over the day of death. So he still has that in mind. Um, and then verse 9, all this I observed while applying my heart all that is done under the sun when man had power over man to his hurt right so that you can see you can think there of i mean if you're thinking about this in terms of death 
you can think there of um, David and Bathsheba, where mm. he sends David sends Bathsheba's husband to the front lines to die. You know, it's like the king has that kind of power over another person yeah. to to the second person's uh, hurt, right? Then mm. again, we still theme of death continues, right? Verse ten. Then I saw the wicked buried, right? So they're still dead. Um, although he reflects on what life was like um, before when they would go in and out of the city and people would praise them as if they were good. Mm. Um, what, sorry, what verse is that? Verse 10. Ah, uh, okay, cool. Is there a difference in Hebrew and English again? No, there's a... A different translation? There's a text critical issue where... Um, um, we can come back to it. Let's come yeah, back to it. Yeah, okay. It, um, at least in verse 13... It might not actually be that important, so we can come back to it if it comes up. At least in verse 13, we have a similar idea where... Um, it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. So we have the same idea of like, somehow, I don't know how this is going to work out, but it's not going to work out that the wicked gets what the righteous deserve and prolong his days beyond the day of his death. Yeah, I think we definitely want to come back to that. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, and then uh, I'll skip over the rest of chapter eight. I, I can't remember exactly what he talks about there, but uh, it's more or less fine. And then chapter nine, verse one to... 10, he comes back, he just says again, you know, I laid all my heart, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. And they don't know what's going to happen. Um, yeah, he says also in verse three, also the hearts of men, the hearts of the children of men are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. <laughs> Fine. Um, but he who's still alive um, has hope, you know, he can still, uh, now he's going to bring in his perspective. It's like, well, while you're still alive, you can still take pleasure in the gift of God. You can still fear God and live with him. And that's good. Yeah. Um, and then he says, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. Yeah. Right? Just looking at that. Yeah. Um, and he's like, make the most of life while you're here um, because you're going to, in verse, yeah, verse 7 to 10, he's like, you make the most of what you've done here. You know, God has already given you things to do and take pleasure in. Um, and then he ends with, whatever you, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, like do, do, do your best, you know, mm-hmm. for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol that is the grave um, to which you are going. Right, so that idea of finality that you're don't try and uh, prolong your life necessarily, don't try and like leave a legacy or anything like that, don't try and prepare yourself for life after the grave. It's like, use wisdom, he has lots of nice things to say about wisdom in this section, mm. but like recognize that it has a place and it's to use to use what to live well in your time, mm. uh, as where you receive your work or your toil as a gift from God and f- fearfully and and take pleasure in it. And then he switches over. So in verse 11, he switches over to what I think is the next sort of critique of wisdom, which is incongruity that we looked at, where mm-hmm. he goes, again, I saw under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the brave to the wise. This is sort of connected to that idea in chapter two, where he says, you know, a person can work really hard and gain a lot of stuff and then give it over to the fool. Yeah. It's like the fool gets what the wise deserves. And right. um, so we'll, we'll, cut, we'll, look at, we'll start looking at that um, next episode. Cool. Okay. So I think out of this whole section, the hardest bit or the most like troubling bit where people start to get really hung up on like, wait, is this guy actually um, a Christian? Or like a, you know, <laughs> like a, a God-fearing person? Yeah. Uh, is in 7 verse uh, 15 to uh, 18. So let me just read that out uh, and then we can talk about it. Yeah. So in my heaven-filled life, I've seen everything. There's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness and there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither a fool. Why should you just, Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. 
So even the, the very idea of sounding um, overly righteous or to overwise sounds suspect at best, right? It's like, yeah. surely... How, how can you be too wise? Yeah, it's like saying, should I? can I fear God too much? Mm. Like, is there, yeah. is there something wrong there? Um, although in the way that he's talking about it, he seems to think that fearing God is the solution to being overwise on the one hand and over foolish on the other hand. Mm. Which is interesting given so, the close relationship between wisdom and the fear of the Lord. Right, right. We saw in Proverbs, like, fear of the Lord is the, the first fruits of wisdom. Mm. And it's like, okay, so he must be using wisdom and righteousness in a different way. But before we yeah. get there, is there, do you have any translation notes that you want to share? No. Is this is this fairly straightforward, this one, this part? Yeah, no, I, I don't think I would have translated that any differently. Okay. Um, for viewers or listeners, um, I spent quite a bit of time working through this and, and actually working on my own translation of this. So it's not like I have this wizard of the Hebrew looking yeah, at it and right. being like, yeah, I think you could have done that. No, no I, like I'm, we're just, as he's reading, I'm reading my own translation that I prepared ahead of time and we're just... If there are any differences, then we can talk about it. But as it turns out, there there aren't. Okay, cool. So now the question is like, well, how do we make sense of this? Because, I mean, at first it just sounds like, oh, he sounds heretical. Okay. But we mm. can put that to one side because he's clearly using his words in a way that's different to what we could say is the normal usage. Because he thinks that um, fear of God prevents us from being overly righteous and overly wise. So the word overly, that gets translated overly, there's doing some work there that is like affecting how he's thinking about it. Mm. How have you thought about this? It's, I mean, the what I've sort of thought and what I've come across is that there's this doctrine of the mean that's going on here. Yeah. So that's sort of tapping into Aristotle's idea that um, the the best course of action is that which is between two extremes where you can either be... Um, uh, so to take bravery, I think, is one of his stock examples you can be foolhardy where you just sort of um go at it whatever the danger or you can be timid which is that you won't go near any danger and actually both of those are problematic both of those will lead you into more than a spot of trouble mm -hmm. um and bravery is the the mean that stands between them that you are ready to face up to danger where appropriate and only to the degree that it's appropriate and so there seems to be a sort of um that seems to be what is going on here it still sounds very odd to say that, well, don't be too righteous, but mm -hmm. usually the way that that seems to be explained is in a sort of utilitarian way. Okay. That you don't, you don't want to, you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot by being a goody two shoes. Um, okay. You, you can go out of your way to the point where it actually hurts you. Um, you can also just be a horrible person mm -hmm. and that could also just not, don't do that either. Um, but if you're going to be a people pleaser or you're going to go to such lengths that you end up hurting yourself, well, that's not going to do you any good. So mm -hmm. don't do that. How that then squares, squares with the fear of God? Well, <laughs> I don't know. I think, yeah, I think it's quite important for us to recognize that there's a, a sense of these words that isn't intrinsically connected with the fear of God. We saw that with wisdom already, right? Where there's wisdom can be guided by the fear of God. And it, or it could just be Orient execution of God. Yeah. yeah. Or it could just be like execution of skill, mm -hmm. skill, right? So we saw yeah. that with Solomon. Yeah. He did a lot of things very wisely, but they weren't guided by the fear of God, mm. right? And I think the same is true of righteousness. I think we struggle with this a bit because we we're thinking as Christians where we have, let's like, say, someone like the Book of Romans, 
where you know Christ died, he's up, uh, and he's made us righteous with God, uh, before God, right? Mm. But righteousness in the in the fuller sense of the word doesn't isn't just about our relationship with God. And I think you were getting at this way. It, it involves like right right relation with like within the community and the community for God. It has a bunch of connotations to it that are go beyond just you know praying and um, not being judged at the end of the at the end of time and and things like that right so we see for example i think it's psalm 112 sort of this portrait of righteousness which does speak about fearing the lord but other times just speaks about like distributing your wealth freely and like you know the idea of the righteous is that if they're righteous then they will do well they will prosper they will be they'll feel secure and um and then they'll be able to that prosperity will be able to like overflow into others and they'll be able to serve others and help others and contribute to the well functioning of society and and so on mm. um and so both of these words have a uh like they overlap with the fear of god but not entirely and so i think that's why he's able to talk about being over righteous and overwise um which will lead to your destruction and the fear of God is the sort of the you want to you want to do these things in the area where the fear of God is guiding them correctly. Now the way I think about it is uh, you kind of do the things that are paradigmatically righteous or wise um, to the excess because you think in them, in those actions themselves, you're going to be mm. have a happy happy life or you're going to live well. Whereas you, and you don't realize that actually it's not themselves that them themselves that give you happiness. Right. But it's them insofar as they are characteristic of you living in the fear of God. Okay. Mm. And so we kind of see this already. Like, I think Kohelet has already kind of prepped us for this, at least in the context of wisdom, in yes. the verses that come before, right? Right. Because the wise person is, he says, like, uh, it's better to go to the house of mourning than go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of mankind and the living should lay it to heart, right? Sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness of the heart, uh, sadness of the face. The heart is madly made glad, right? The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. So we have here a picture of someone who the wise person is takes seriously their mortality and is able to use that to guide the way that they think about priorities in life and do all these things. But now, okay, but then you're like, imagine you hear them, you're like, oh, that's great. Okay. I'm gonna spend all my time thinking about death. Yeah. Right? I'm, I'm going to always just reflect on it. I'm never going to go to the house of uh, mirth. Uh, I'm, I'm never going to do anything that's fun. I'm always going to try correct people. I'm always going to try analyze things to death. Yeah. Pun not intended. <laughs> um, uh, although maybe pun intended, I guess. Um, and all these sorts of things. That would be a case where I think it's you being overwise. Like you're, 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 you're kind of doing this, the hard stuff to the nth degree because you think somehow in that you're going to find some kind of redemption or, or happiness or whatever. Whereas all you're really doing is not like preventing yourself from enjoying the things that are good in life. Yeah, you're running yourself into the ground. Running, yeah, you're yeah. destroying yourself, as he says in uh, in verse uh, in the verse where he warns about this in verse 16, right? Yeah. Why should you destroy yourself? Yeah. Um, I think in modern days, the most common example of this that I think people hit into, if they're not impulsive, if they like to plan things and research things, is... Um, like analysis paralysis, mm. right? Where you, you spend so much try, time trying to make the right decision that you end up making no decision and not benefiting anything, you know? Yeah. And at a certain point, like, it's just like the benefits of analysis outweigh the the, the detriment of, of not making a decision at all. Yeah. Uh, but it's like that, take that idea and just apply it to like every aspect of your life, uh, every sort of thing. And then, you know, you'll become like this depressive, um, 
a nihilist who like doesn't think anything's worth doing and um you know yeah um there's actually a, an example of this in the good place uh chidi is a philosopher ethicist guy and I, he's just afraid of making decisions because he always wants to make the right decision but then he just never makes a decision so if you ever want to see what it looks like to be overwise or too wise Go watch the good place recommended officially yeah. by the face seeking understanding podcast um <laughs> they're not sponsoring us <laughs> um i think the same thing can be said of righteousness uh so you know imagine someone who's like oh well the righteous person gives away their goods so i'm just going to keep giving away everything mm. right at a certain point like that doesn't work right like you'll give away everything to the point where you won't have any wealth and you'll stop being able to give away things <laughs> because you'll yeah. be the one that needs people to give you stuff right yeah um you're being like over you can be overly generous to the point where it's detrimental to you and the people that would would otherwise rely on you yeah. um for a, a continuous uh, source of um support yeah uh you could take a lot of the things that it's like the actions that righteous or wise people paradigmatically do characteristically do and say cool what if i just took that to the nth degree mm. um and you'll see very quickly how that will just lead to it'll just spiral out of control and it'll lead you to destroying yourself to be fair he does say be not overly wicked uh, in verse 17 that doesn't yeah, I, I wouldn't say that means you should be a little bit wicked <laughs> um, I think he's just um, kind of going for a there's like a symmetry in the in the language there sure. um, and then it's interesting because the thing that he pulls out there why should you die before your time that's sort of the characteristic um, consequence of being wicked or being a fool right is that you die before your time yeah. um, I think these days we don't really appreciate but in the old in the old testament everyone goes to the same place they go to Sheol regardless of how righteous they were or not right um the only difference then is not where you go like heaven or hell like we think today mm. but more about like when do you go do you go do you die as a young man or do you die in your ripe old age when you you know um when you sort of lived a full life and that's why he'll say something like do not die before your time like die before you should die <laughs> yeah yeah cool yeah so that's that's that part. i don't think it's 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 kind of um not as controversial i think when you think of it like that, as it might initially sound, it does sound pretty shocking, but I guess that's part of Kohelet's strategy. It's his style. <laughs> yeah, is to say things shocking so that you'll set up and be like, wait a minute, what did you just say? Yeah. Like, no, he doesn't want the people in his pews to be uh, sitting there being like, yeah, 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 whatever, I've heard this before, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's good, sort of go for the shock factor. <laughs> um, let's talk about this uh, bit that you want to talk about in chapter eight. Um, so verse 10 to verse 13. So mine, mine mm. says, Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is Hebel. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. It will not, uh, But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. So with that translation, it aligns quite well with the realization we saw in, at the second half of chapter three, where he says, because there's a time for everything, there's going to be a time for every deed. Right. And they will find judgment. Mm. We don't know how this is going to work. We don't know how exactly. Yeah. But we know that like, even though they might appear to do well um, in the present day because of circumstances outside of our control, yeah. ultimately they will meet the end that they do deserve. So we can take solace in the fact that, ju that judgment will be meted out and that God will do right on. Yeah. yeah. So he's sort of, it's a defeater um, for the person who's like, look, the wicked people prosper. And he's like, so we should be wicked. And he's like, no, don't, don't do yeah. that. Uh, like, it's not, it's not going to go well. Right. Yeah. Um, 
And I mean, there, there does seem to be elsewhere in um, in Ecclesiastes this this sort of handover to God that well, ultimately He is in control. We might not know what He's doing now, but um, we can be sure that He is still sovereign over mm-hmm. what what's going on. We could translate that with the with the eventuality that this is something that's going to happen in the previ- in the in the um, in the future, uh-huh. um, that this is what will happen for the people who fear God. Okay. The, the way that those verbs can actually be translated, it doesn't necessarily... I mean, there's some technical details that I don't really want to have to go into between um, just the difference between the way that Hebrew works as a language and the way that English works as a language. But sure. the bottom line is that one of the things that sort of help with that might do away with the contradiction here is if we just understand this verb not as... Um, if we don't take it as, as something that's going to happen in the future, but something that's indicating intention, which is a, a viable option. Okay. So instead of, um, but I know that it will go well for the person who fears God, mm-hmm. we could say, I know it should go well for the person who fears God. Mm-hmm. So he's got this view that, well, I know how things are supposed to work out. Mm-hmm. If we look at, if I open my Bible, if I read Deuteronomy, if I see the way that God tends to deal with the righteous, um, when I look at it through the lens of all my expectations of how the world is supposed to work, this is what's supposed to happen. Mm. Instead, I look around me and I see injustice. Mm. Instead, I look around and I see um, that there is the one who does evil a hundred times and yet his life is prolonged. Mm. So there's this incongruity already um, that, I mean, he's going to have plenty more to say mm. on in later chapters. Um He's looking around and seeing this is not measuring up to what I would like to see in the world, given my expectations for how I've understood God to work. Okay. That does still leave us in a similar place where um, he's got he's got these ideas about how God tends to work in the world. He's got these ideas about God's sovereignty, which is emphasized multiple times throughout the book. But what he's dealing with here is not this, this well, what he's expressing here is not the statement of hope that, but don't worry, I know it's going to be okay. Okay. Um, it's a um, well. This isn't exactly gelling right now. So could he still be indicating towards? Uh, is, I mean, could you say like he still thinks that there's going to be a time for judgment for everything? He just doesn't know exactly when that will happen. Like it's not necessarily all in the future. Yeah, it could still happen now in a way that we don't understand. Yeah, I don't think. We, yeah, I don't think we need to rule that out. Okay. I think the fact of the matter is, for the person who has died before their time, they're dead. Yeah, they're gone. <laughs> it's too late yeah. for them. Yeah. Um, for the person who is already raking it in, despite the fact that they're wicked and they don't deserve it, well, the fact of the matter is, it's happening. Mm. Um, so it's it seems too easy an answer to say, but don't worry, Kohelet's got an eternal perspective. Mm, mm-hmm. That sounds very Christian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I think while while that can still obtain, while I still think that perspective. Um, while I think, still think we can hold that perspective while reading Ecclesiastes, I just think we need to be ready to to acknowledge where Kohelet is actually just being Kohelet yeah. <laughs> and saying things in a jarring way. Right. Um, so on this- Like a big wet blanket, just putting it over us and saying, life is not what it should be, is it? Mm. And we just have to be like, yeah, you got a point. <laughs> <laughs> so how- um, Okay, that's interesting. So then in verse 13, what is it? He's like, he's saying um, he, he will not, he does not prolong his life because he does not fear God. Or, like what? Uh, but, it should, saying but it shouldn't go well for the wicked and he shouldn't lengthen his days uh, okay. like a shadow. 
because they have no fear of God. Mm-hmm. Like they have no fear of God. Why should these things happen for mm-hmm. them? And yet he's just said a moment ago that, but they do. Mm, okay. That fits in more neatly, at least with what he says just prior to that, right? Like he said, this is Hevel and because, um, the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the child, the heart of the children of man is not is fully set to do evil. Yeah, sort of this idea, like because they're not seeing the consequences readily, they're tempted to do the evil that is easier and what they, you know. Yeah, he looks around and he sa- and he says, "This is Hevel. the The order that I would expect to see, the covenantal dynamic that um, people get what they should relative to the fear of God." That has turned out to be elusive, mm. um, at least in terms of what we have in front of us. Mm. Again, I'm not trying to make a heretic out of him. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that he doubts the the covenant dynamic, and I certainly don't think he d- he doubts God's sovereignty. But I think he's doing business with what's in front of him. Yeah, congruity. Um, yeah, exactly. He's he a could- realist and seeing what's in front of him. He he calls that evil. Just before that, in chapter seven. He calls something else Hevel, which is actually very similar, where um, the sword is mightier than the pen. Mm. He has all this, all these thoughts about wisdom and and the low ceiling of wisdom and how far it can get you. Because he says um, in 7 verse 7, oppression makes a fool of the wise person. Mm. Um, and in 7 verse 19, will wisdom prevail for the wise against 10 people with sway over a city? Mm. A, a, very much seems like the answer to that is well, no. <laughs> Wisdom can get you so far, but yeah, if somebody's that. stronger than you, then and he, it, it ties it ties even further back with um, the last bit of chapter six, hmm. which actually seems like a bit of a transition um, period. Yeah, uh, a section. Yeah, you know, uh, a bridge um, where he says that um, no one is able to contend with one who is more powerful than them. Yeah. Where there are many words, there's a great deal that's elusive. And what advantage is there for humanity? Um, six verse ten there. Yeah. So I mean that 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 thread seems to be going all the way through. That the, mm. the sword sometimes is mightier than the pen, and wisdom is only going to get you so far in trying to deal with that. Yeah. So he, in in on this reading, he's more like raising a question and pointing out like another source of heaven, really. And yeah. I think it it does kind of make more sense to me if you recognize that if you maybe see it that way. I mean. I haven't thought about it like this, so I need to think about it more. But mm. my first impression is, well, this does make more sense because when he concludes, so in um, you know eight verse uh, fourteen to basically nine verse ten, he he doesn't really ever say mention judgment as a thing. He he's still going back to the well. While you're alive, make the most of it. Um, yeah. You know, live well because like when you die, that's it. Like you no longer have these things. Mm. Well, you would think, uh, and, but the, the same idea of like. Um, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead and, and nine verse three. So he still has this, um, this problem in his mind. Mm. And yet he doesn't then in his concluding thoughts go back to the like, but there's going to be a judgment. So it's going to be okay in the end. Yeah. That, that would seem a very easy yeah. answer. Yeah. I mean, it, perhaps it is worth saying that sometimes I think as Christians today, we can be a bit too trite about that. Yeah. That we don't reckon with the suffering that's in front of us or the oppression that's in front of us. Um, and perhaps don't speak out about it because, but don't worry, there'll be a judgment we'll day where everything will be, yeah, yeah, the wrongs will be righted, the rights will be wronged, and um, it just, it sort of gets sidelined or deferred. Um, 
this makes me it's interesting because it makes me think like his his point in three chapter three where he said like there'll be a time for everything mm. like he he clearly believes that like that's a implication of this principle that he guides him but he doesn't really know that's pretty much all he knows he doesn't know what shape it's going to take yeah he's like yeah maybe it'll happen during our lifetime maybe it'll happen after death don't know what that's going to look like because we all go to the same place like yeah. maybe the people that look it like in a good place they're actually hitting themselves inside maybe not like I don't know. I just yeah. know somewhere in the scheme of things there's going to be a time for everything, but I have no idea how it's going to work itself out. And then part of like speaking to that now is like raising this question where it's like, well, it's not this way of thinking about it. Um, still don't know what it is, but like, you know, it's uh, sort of just making, just adding more question marks at the end of that thing. Like, I don't know exactly how it's going to work out. Yeah. Yeah. Which is unsettling. I mean, I think that is, uh, yeah. that Collarhead is very, um, Collet, I said it. Collet, um, you had a very good run. We uh, said in the beginning yeah. that you were probably going to say it at some point. Yeah. I think this is the first. Time. Okay, yeah, <laughs> go me. Collet, um, uh, he is. This is very much his outlook, right? He's like, yeah. I'm not going to go further than this. I'll just leave you with this <laughs> bleak. <laughs> in essence, I think he's looking around at the world around him and just saying, "You see a two, don't yeah. you?" Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I, I don't think there's anything for him to kind of. Like, I, I don't think he's looking around at the world that's all peachy and saying, let's find things that suck. <laughs> it's just that one of the real things about life is that there is oppression, that there is injustice, that there are things that go wrong, that um, and that there are people who wrong that still sometimes get treated as though they were doing everything right. Mm. Um, it's just one of those very real things about life and... Um, I mean, I think a lot of his statements are very politically charged. The fact that he has so much to say about the king and, well, you better watch yourself around the king because he's got that power and your wisdom's only going to get you so far, kid. Mm. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, we spoke about some of the other things in previous episodes too with the lines of officials and all that. Mm. Um, yeah. That, that in general, seems to color my reading of Ecclesiastes. Mm. That... Um, there's a lot of heavy realism about the book that he <laughs> yeah. seems to like to point out. Yeah. He like, he's like, oh, you, you're, you got a saw on your arm there. Let me just, uh, <laughs> let me just, let me just press that. How sore is it? <laughs> Could do with a bit of salt, I think. Okay, yeah. Cool. Well, on that uh, extremely positive note about mm-hmm. reality, uh, I think we'll end it there. Um, thanks for joining for this episode. Uh, remember to like and subscribe on all the relevant platforms and give us a rating and whatever on the platforms that I don't understand. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you in the next one. Bye.